Alright, so uh, this morning is Mother's Day. It is May 12th, 2013. And our title this morning is called Salvation of the World. Good thing we're covering a light subject this morning. Something easy. You know, no difficulty in this. Listen, holidays cut two ways. For many, they're an extraordinarily joyous occasion. For others, it's a reminder of a loss in their life. I'd like to tell you that if you're here today and it's difficult for you because your relationship with your mother is strained, whether you were a terrible child or she was a terrible mother, makes no difference. Let's look at the nature of God together this morning. Let's hold out hope for restoration. Turn with me to Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter. In the fourth chapter, you're going to be in the 25th verse. This is at a time when things were destroyed in Israel. I'm talking about wrecked way beyond where our lives are. It was prophesying about a future that was in the tank. After you have had children and grandchildren. Sounds like they lived a while, doesn't it? After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land for a long time. If you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking Him to anger. I call heaven and earth as a witness against you this day, that you will quickly perish from the land you are crossing, the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. This is such a strange place to start, and I know that it is. But it just occurred to me that every time we do Christmas, every time we do Father's Day, every time we do Mother's Day, some are sitting there estranged from their parents or children that... Uh, our parents are estranged from their children. And it feels like the land is desolate. It feels like sin has gotten in and wrecked it beyond repair. He goes on in the 29th verse to say, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you look for Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. This was such an important thing that Jeremiah repeated it uh, almost a thousand years later for the whole nation. When we seek the Lord regarding something, we will find His heart and He will find ours. When you are in distress and these things have happened to you, it's almost like the Lord knew we would mess our relationships up with each other and with Him. Then in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey Him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. Somebody say, merciful God. Merciful God. Oh, come on, say it again. Merciful God, He will not abandon. Oh my goodness. He will not abandon. He will not destroy. The living God is not like this. He does not abandon the work of His hands. Psalm 138 says, He will fulfill His purpose for me, for He will not abandon the work of His hands. David had problems with his parents. Psalm 27 says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will not. The good news is not only would the Lord not forsake David, as David sought the Lord, the Lord was able to fix the problem with his parents. I'm only telling you this this morning so that you will know that the Lord is not willing to forget His covenant. And you are in covenant with Him. He's confirmed it by the oath that is the name Yeshua. As surely as Jesus lives, the living God can restore you to your children or restore children to their parents. There's another problem with Mother's Day, friends. Some are so happy because we have children. Others long, labor, are tearful, 
because they do not yet have children. Let us look at Psalm 113 together. In Psalm 113, examining the nature of God gives us hope. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Do you get the feeling that the Lord likes to be praised? Do you get the feeling that praise might have a certain effect? It might pull you out of the doldrums. It might even save your life. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust, and He lifts the needy from the ashes heap. Are your dreams in an ashes heap this morning? Has it been prophesied to you that you would have children? Been prophesied to you that you would be restored to your parents or your parents' Restored to children? Do you feel like your life's relationships are not much more than a pile of ashes? Psalm 6, I'm sorry, Isaiah 61 verse 3 says he will give you beauty instead of ashes. We serve a God that will take the burned ashes of your life and make them an offering. He'll turn them into something beautiful. Whether we sit here today estranged or sit here not yet walking, in what God has for us, and hurtful, scared to trust, scared to believe that He'll come through. You need to know that we serve a God who will reach down to the very dust to pick you up from where you are. If He has promised you a child, in the name of Jesus, the living God, you will have your child. If He has told you that you can restore a relationship, you keep loving Him and doing exactly what He says, and He will restore the relationship. This Bible in its essence is about a break between God and man. And that break caused numerous breaks between man and man. He first reached down to make things right with us. And now He's teaching us to reach out to make things right with each other. So I want to encourage you to love without limit. To not guard yourself from hurt. It is a part of the way of the cross. Every time you reach out and show love to someone and are rebuffed, it stings a little bit. This is participating in the very sufferings and nature of Christ. You do it because you love Him. You do it because it's the right thing to do. You do it because you have hope that tomorrow may not be like today. Somebody say amen in the house of God. Do you have hope? Yes. Oh, we serve a merciful God. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy. From the ash heap, he sits, seats them with princes. Oh man, he seats them with princes. With the princes of their people. What other God would take those who are dwelling in the burned ashes? Quite literally, Gehenna was a place that you turned over garbage day and night. Where the worm never died. It was a place of burning refuse. Could it get any worse than that? But He will snatch you from the depths of hell. And He will raise you to sit at the table with the living God. I am a friend of God. You can be a friend of God. We can be in covenant with Him and treated just like His sons, princes with God. Amen. What are you called to, saints? I'm called to be a prince with God. And listen to this last little promise. 
He settles the barren woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. On the back of an emperor, 
when Augustus came into power in December, they began to say, say, there is no name save Augustus by which men can be saved. But I want to tell you, friends, he's been reduced to ashes. And a man who was born in a manger has been seated as prince of the universe. But how did he get here? How did he get here? He was born through a little girl that today Planned Parenthood would have told to kill your baby. Born through someone that had so much hope, so much promise. Why ruin your life at 16 with a child? Because it's not the ruination of my life. It's the crowning achievement of a life. Amen. Come on, mother, somebody say amen. amen. You might be sitting here, a mother who did not do well, but your life is not over. And when you successfully carried the child, that's worth something. You've contributed to the plan of God. And maybe your child is not doing well. Maybe, maybe you had a son and he's every bit as disappointing as I can be at times. But my life is not over in the name of Jesus. There is life yet in me. And in the name of Jesus, I will further the plan of God because I was born for a purpose. Let us turn to 2 Timothy. We'll see in the first chapter. A very balancing thought. By the way, the same man that wrote 1 Timothy wrote 2 Timothy. Is it fair that we would take one statement that a man makes and not consider it in the light of all of his statements? In 2 Timothy, the first chapter, here is the fifth verse. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. How did Timothy get exposed to the gospel? It was through a godly grandmother and a godly mother. What do we know of Timothy's father? He was a Greek and a Greek who did not proselytize to Judaism at a time that Judaism was the absolute only way. The faith that grew in Timothy's heart and was there for Paul to nurture. Timothy, a believer when Paul found him, was imparted through the mother. The Savior of the world, friends, is a man. A man among men. A Jewish carpenter in the first century who taught and acted and spoke like a rabbi is the Savior of the world. Amen. But he never could have entered the world according to God's plan without coming through a woman. A brave, courageous, sacrificial, selfless woman. In this we see where our roles lie. Our roles are to produce godly offspring. To be sacrificial in the way that we do it. To love and to restore and to hold up hope in the face of failure. To watch ashes become something beautiful. And if you look to your left and your right, it is happening all around you. Joel, five years ago, was your life beautiful or was it ashes? It was ugly ashes. What is it now? Cody, was your life beautiful five years ago or was it ugly? But what is it now? Friends, sometimes life is what we make of it, or rather what we will allow God to make in it. I want to encourage you this morning. Do not let the devil beat you over the head with a stick. Instead, stand up and be the man or woman God called you to be today. Yeah. 
We may not be able to do anything about the past, but the living God can redeem our past. And He has already projected for us a great future. It's our job to love Him, to serve Him, to carry on in Him. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. Say there when you're there. Y'all going to have to talk to me this morning. In 1 Corinthians 11. Look at verse 11. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as a woman came from man, for as a woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. God in His beautiful symmetry would require that men and women work together, that they produce godly offspring, and that His plan would go through the ages. When we look at three specific women, we find amazing prophetic promises in the Scripture. Are you guys into the promises that are in the Scripture, or would you rather dwell on something else? If the Bible promises it, what does that mean? Is it possible? Is it maybe? Is it kinda? Or is it yes and amen? Yes. Give us a yes and amen. Yes and amen. So no matter what I tell you the Bible promises, you're going to believe that it's a promise, correct? Yes. Let us look at what was said to Eve and when it was said. Go to Genesis 3.20. Say there when you're there. there. Matthew's there. Patricia's there. A, a, a son and a mother. Where are the rest of them? In Genesis 3.20. By the way, what is the setting of Genesis 3? Somebody said sin. What else? What did sin produce? Death. A fall. Exclusion. Are their lives looking like ashes or are they looking like princes? In the midst of this terrible situation, look at what Adam names his wife. Verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Her name had been wild, man. And they had not done very much that was right. They named the animals, presumably by their function, since this is how Jews still name today. A prophetic voice. You want your kid to be the praise of God, you name him Judah. You want him to be a messenger bearing uh, the word of God as one who stands in God's presence, you name him Gabriel. You want your child to be the son of joy, you name him Benjamin. You want him to be a faithful covenant-keeping child, you name him Jonathan. The uh, Hebrew people named things based on how they functioned. Her name has been woman. God named Adam, Adam. And in the midst of a fall that she led, boy, that's a difficult subject, isn't it? She suggested it, and he followed. And they both became guilty. Him more guilty than her, even though she led the way. Do you know why? God gave him the responsibility to lead. The leader of the home, in a fallen state, after hearing judgment pronounced on him, pronounced upon her, and pronounced upon a serpent, sees hope in it. And he looks at her and says, your name is Eve. You are the mother of the living. I want to tell you that no matter what your life has been like, God has called you to give birth to the spiritually living. You may be beyond the child rearing years, but you are not beyond the discipling years. You may be beyond 
your years of raising children, they may have gone on and now you have children and great-grandchildren. But we are supposed to be a part of mothering all of the living. There will be a day when there is a great white throne and the living and the dead will be separated from each other. And Eve will have a part in every life that could be called living. Oh saints, our role is so important. I want to encourage you not to look at what you do not have, but look at what you have. What you have is a mighty calling from God to bring life everywhere you go. And this was spoken to the woman. Life, everywhere you go, you'll be a mother to it. When you walk into a garden, it'll burst into bloom. In the name of Jesus, you are a carrier of life. Oh, is that not good news? Or are your lives so perfect you've never needed to be encouraged? Come on now. We are called to bring life. Eve gives us a prophetic promise. Who are the patriarchs in Israel? What are their names? And everybody can say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Can you give their wives' names just as easily, just as quickly? Oh, my goodness. Silence in the room. How about Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel? We have a society that esteems men for what they accomplish and forget. There's nothing noteworthy that they accomplish without the aid of their spouse. Amen. Tony Kemp said it the other night. I think it was his biggest amen of the evening. He was doing better than I am. Turn with me to Genesis 17 and let us look at a prophetic promise. In Genesis 17, pick up with me in verse 15. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. Listen to me, husbands. Your wife may act like a drill sergeant, but in the name of Jesus, start calling her princess, and she will become what you call her. Adam's wife had done nothing but birth death, but he looked at her and he called her Eve, the mother of the living, and she became the mother of the living. God corrected the man of faith, and he said her name is no longer drill surgeon. It's no longer pushy. Her name is now princess. How we view them, men of God, is how they will begin to view themselves, and they need to know they are called of God to bring life to the world. Somebody say amen. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be, what does that say? Mother of the nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. It's not enough that Eve would be the mother of the living. The wife of the patriarch, the princess with God, would literally give birth to those who would rule with God. What are we supposed to do, ladies? Mama, what is your real calling? Your calling is not just to bring life everywhere you go. It's to raise up leaders in the name of Jesus who change the world. Amen. You don't have a toddler sitting next to you. You don't have an insolent teenager sitting next to you. You have the ruling force of God sitting next to you. And you are the first in primary shape during their elementary years. What a role this is. Motherhood has been little esteemed in our time. It's been act, it's been treated as if it were an inconvenience. Something to get in the way of our two cars, two jobs, and seven bedrooms.
There is no more important role in all of the universe. What if Jesus had no mother? Which great man of God would there be without his mother? And I'm going to tell you the truth. A lot of them had awful mothers. God's able to change that situation. And a lot of great men of God bore terrible children. It's a very sad thing. I'm here to tell you we can do better than that. Turn with me to Genesis 24. In Genesis 24, we see Isaac's wife. There are a lot of ways to define Rebecca's name. Do we have a Rebecca in the room? We do. We have a Rebecca Treaster. Any more Rebecca's in the room? First or middle name? Oh, Rebecca, then you get this. Some of the translators say Rivka, which is how you would say it in Hebrew, means to ensnare. Some would say it means to loop, but they're all missing the basis of the word, sweetheart. Stand up and wave to everybody. Look, it's like she's wearing blush now. <laughs> Isaac, the promised son, would need something. He would need a wife, and not just any wife. When she was born, her name in Hebrew really means irresistible. Her husband would have such affection for her character, such affection for her, that as Song of Songs says, he could be captivated with a glance from her. Isaac and Rebekah stand out among the patriarchs as having done well. They raised Esau and they raised Jacob. And the world is better for it. Rebecca, you have a beautiful name. Rebecca gets one of the better promises in the Bible, and I've never heard anyone mention it when they preach. Are you in Genesis 24? Yes. In Genesis 24, let us look at the 60th verse. 59th verse. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of of their enemies. With Eve, we find out that we will give birth to those who are spiritually alive. With Sarah, we find out they will be rulers with God. And with Rebecca, we find out that they will defeat the enemy and multiply to numbers that cannot be counted. Oh my goodness, one woman could change the world. My little Abby, she's in the children's church. My little Abby is already born with all the genetic material. To have as many children as God will bless her with. It's already inside of her body. She might give birth to someone one day that brings the head of the enemy in his hand to the camp of the people of God. Every woman has had this hope since Eve. Can you imagine what it must have been like for her to give birth to Cain and give birth to Abel and later to give birth to Seth? And what does she hope for each one? That they'd be the most amazing people of God that they could be. And what does Cain do to Abel? He kills Abel. Many mothers never been easy. It's never been easy. Every mother has a child and has the highest hopes for that child. And sometimes their lives are just not going the right direction. This has been a struggle. A promise is given to Eve. We've talked about it. Mother of all the living. How broad is that promise? That's pretty broad, isn't it? 
Everybody on the planet can be traced back to Eve. But as you roll forward, we have a Noahic flood. And as broad as the promise is, it could be from anybody that came from Eve. What happens after the Noahic flood? We have Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And we find out that it's the tent of Shem that will be blessed. That's a pretty narrow blessing, isn't it? We go from everybody on the earth right down to Shem, don't we? And then after Shem's descendants multiply on the earth and all the Semitic peoples such as Jethro and Midian and all of the other Semitic peoples are on the planet. God again picks a man who is living in Ur of the Chaldees named Abraham. And he becomes a friend of God and the promises of God center on that one man. It narrowed again, didn't it? Who in here has a baby that's less than two years old? Anybody in here with a baby less than a year? Anybody with a baby less than six months? JJ, were you there when the baby was born? What's your daughter's name? Emily. What a beautiful name. Y'all give JJ a hand clap. Now that you clap, you realize he didn't do a thing. Natalie did all the hard work. When you were watching this baby be born, when you're waiting for Emily, did you stare at a monitor? You didn't look at a, a graph that was being printed? No. Oh, you guys are strong ones. You did a home birth. Who in here did not have a baby in the home in the last year? Go ahead, Haley. What was Alex looking at? Did he notice your contractions? Now, what you could feel, he got to observe, right? But he didn't get to feel those, did he? If you draw those contractions, they have amplitude. They have height and they have depth. They have an expanding nature and a contracting nature. And every time there's a contraction, what are you hoping is about to happen? Come on, help me out, Haley. You're hoping the promise is here. The baby's here. The entire earth has been experiencing this expansion and this contraction. A promise is given to Eve. That's an expansion. It's everybody. It's narrowed down to Shem. That's a contraction. Then Shem's descendants begin to multiply on the earth, and that's an expansion. And then we get to Abraham, and that's a contraction. Then Abraham's descendants are many, and then Jacob has 12 sons. But we find out through Judah, and a contraction. And the very earth has been laboring to produce the Messiah. Now the Messiah came through a woman named Leah. Was Leah the favorite of Jacob? Don't you love our God's propensity to love the underdog? Leah was not the favorite of her husband, but she was the favorite of God. In Genesis 29 and 30, Leah bears six sons. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and one girl, Dina or Dinah. While Rachel, who was the favorite one, struggles to have children. In Genesis 49, in the 31st verse, there Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. There I buried Leah. Leah makes it into the family tomb. She's literally gathered with the fathers. No mention of where Rachel is buried, somewhere outside Bethlehem most likely, but definitely not in this same tomb. By the time you move on to Ruth, Ruth 4.11. Then the elders and all those who were at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. 
there's been a struggle, a competition between mothers since the very first couple of mothers. They all thought their child was the best. You know, you can watch CNN, you can watch, I'd rather you watch Fox News, but that's neither here nor there. And while you're watching it, there could be some terrible criminal that the whole world knows is guilty. And who's the one person that will usually stand and defend him? Mama will stand there and say, I don't know what happened. He was such a good boy. Y'all just don't know him. These women struggled to produce the Messiah. Rachel produced Joseph, and she produced Benjamin. And they were highly esteemed. Was Joseph loved by his daddy? Yes. Oh, man, he got the coat of many colors. He's also the first to become a ruler and become Zaphonoth Paneah in Egypt. Was Benjamin loved? Yes. Joseph shows Benjamin such favor that he gives him double what all of his other brothers get. No love for the sons of Leah. What do we know about Reuben? Well, we know about Reuben that he dishonored his father. What do we know about Simeon and Levi? Well, we know that they went into Shechem with swords in their hands and did an obnoxious thing. What do we know about Judah? I can't even mention it in church, even though it's written in the Bible. Judah visited a young lady that he thought was working for money, and she was actually his relative. Produced Zerah and Perez. Would you have picked any of those children to birth the Messiah through? I mean, it's a pretty bizarre thing when a father-in-law impregnates a daughter-in-law, huh? That's Jesus' family line. Let me ask you something. And I'm going to do it in a non-churchy way. How screwed up is your family? Now I'm more screwed up than the line that Jesus came from. And you know what? It's still filled with princes. It's still filled with the living. It's still filled with those who took the gates of the enemy. Tell me what's not possible for you, friend. Well, my mom was this. My dad was this. So you don't understand. My kids don't love me. They don't seek me out. They don't. Nothing is impossible for a man who believes God. These women in their competition built Israel. It built it. Without them, there is no promise of God. It's not said in this blessing that Jacob built Israel. It said that the women built Israel. Well, why is that? Because Jacob didn't carry anybody for nine months. Jacob didn't lay at night alone in a tent and pray that God would give him a child. He didn't do it. But these women bought and sold mandrakes and bribed each other and fought for the chance <coughs> to be in the Messiah's family line. How important is it that we have godly offspring? How important is it that we yearn to advance the cause of Eve, to advance the cause of Sarah, advance the cause of Leah? Saints, you can be sitting here without children, and if you have ears to hear, you still hear your calling in this. We, everything in the creation. Have you ever seen, Justin, you're a wise young man. I already preached on Genesis the other night, and I loved it. So from now on, I'm going to pick on you. Tell me, you've grown up around livestock, huh? I mean, you come from a town called Port of the Cow. It sounds less attractive in English, doesn't it? In Spanish, it's elephant. Port of the vaca, you know? But, port of the cow. Have you ever seen a cow give birth to a cat? Can a vulture give birth to a dove? 
Why is that? Everything is going to give birth according to its kind. Friends, you're going to have a following that can be called children, whether they were born to you or you adopted them. But they're going to look like you. They're going to look like you in every way that counts. You say, well, this one doesn't have my eyes, and yet you all have God's eyes. You were made in a pattern and image just like the Lord. And in some kind of way, anybody that you're a spiritual mother or father to will look something like you. It's a spiritual DNA, so to speak. Were Elijah and Elisha related? Not at all, but how similar were their lives? Are you hearing me? Amen. You have a call of God. He is building something in you that He wants you to carry on to someone else. The kingdom in its very essence is about transferring the good deposit that Paul spoke to Timothy about. Let me ask you something. Two hours, back to Alex and Haley, two hours after your baby is born, whose arms are they putting the baby in? And who gets to hold that baby most of the time? And who does the baby need, oh, four to eight times a day? Mom. Being a mother is the very first and primary way in which a bond occurs that can produce after its kind. Forever. How important is that call? I remember prophesying to Charlie and Joe when I was too young to even know what I was saying. That I saw them sitting on wood floors in two chairs, not thrones, mind you, just chairs. And they had children, as far as I could see, crammed in their house and around them. And that God said Joe would be a matriarch in his kingdom. I've watched her life for 20 years. She has never failed to give birth to the living. You can give her the most troubled children, and she'll turn them into princes that sit at the table with God and bring back the head of the enemy. Does she do it alone? No, she has a husband that she loves and follows. This was God's plan. Do you know why in the book of Malachi God hates divorce? Because He's seeking godly offspring. It takes two of us. It takes two of us to raise up something after our kind. Each of us is a little bit incomplete and together we have everything that it takes. I want to encourage you. You don't have physical limitations. You don't have spiritual limitations. All you have to do is trust the living God. And you will leave in your wake when you go to be in the presence of God. Many sons and daughters. Some will belong to you and some may not. And you'll love them all just the same. I have five children. Three were born to me. And two were not. And I didn't give birth to any of them. I did send out a card when Judah was born. It was of a man that looked an awful lot like me. Those were the skinny days. And he had a sheet draped over just his midsection. His legs were covered in beta dye. He was sweating. He's shirtless. And they're holding a baby right there in the catcher's position. My own mother thought I had posed for the picture and rebuked me in front of everyone. There's some things, guys, we just can't do. God told Adam in Genesis 1, 26 through 28 to increase in number. <laughs> Go ahead, try. Come on, the youngest and strongest among you. Spencer, think real hard right now and produce a child. 
<laughs> not gonna happen. I know I'm in my third trimester, but it's still not a baby. Not <laughs> Mothers, you play an essential role for salvation. There would be no rulers, there would be no living, and there would be nobody to defeat the enemy without you. Matthew 2.18 is something that we don't have to read, but it's such a strange verse. Matthew is doing his very best to show the whole world that Jesus is fulfilling Scripture. And early on in the second chapter, he says, This happened so that the verse from Exodus, Out of Egypt I called my son, would be fulfilled. And then Herod has what we call the slaughter of the innocents. And Matthew quotes this verse from Jeremiah 31. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now I've talked to a lot of Christians and I don't know if any of them knew what it meant. It's a verse about the two women, Rachel and Leah, yearning to produce the Messiah, striving for it. Rachel enjoyed the love of her husband. She enjoyed the physical favor that was upon her sons. Leah saw nothing of the sort. But in the end, all of Rachel's blessings did not produce the Messiah. But the Messiah came through Leah. I'm not trying to take you through a complicated biblical genealogy. I'm trying to tell you that the worse off your situation is, the more likely that God will bring life through it. Our God loves an underdog. He loves to take barren women and cause them to have children. And He loves to take children that are women that have more than enough children that they shouldn't be concerned about anybody else's and make them a, a mother to the spares. He does this because it goes against nature. He does it because it shows His greatness. He does it because He finds people and He wants them to give birth according to their kind. Let's be honest, couldn't we use a few more Alicia's in the world? Yes. Couldn't we use a few more Jennifer's in the world? Yes. How many Joy Dames would you like to have in the world? Yes. How many Gabrielles would you like to have in the world? We have the ability to reproduce after our kind. Saints, what an honor. And where we started with this in 1 Timothy 2.15 was our very salvation depends upon it. Why does it depend upon it if the Messiah has already come? Because the earth's still groaning, still contracting, still expanding. And you know what we do not yet have? Salvation because the body of Christ is not yet complete. Now we had five children. All of them are in the body of Christ. We're doing our part to complete it. I'm now working for more spiritual children. Trying to complete the body of Christ. And one day the head will descend upon the shoulders and we will rule and reign the earth. And we will have had a part of it. Oh, come on, can you hear me today? Amen. You have a part in the plan of God. None of you are insignificant. Most of my life, I heard this devilish voice telling me I was a mistake. When I said devilish, it didn't come through a human being. It was literally devilish. You know who doesn't feel like I'm a mistake? My children. I want to encourage you. You produce something for God, make a disciple for God, and it will give your life meaning. Amen. 
Somebody could tell you you were just the product of a drunk night. But as soon as you see somebody born again and spirit filled, you know what you will feel? Like you're a prince at the table of God. Somebody put here to cause life. Somebody put here to take the head of the enemy. Amen. You know, I always gravitated towards sales. People think that the folks who gravitate towards sales are just people persons. They think that they just have a gift of gab. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know why I gravitated towards sales? Because as long as I produced, it didn't matter what else I did. So I could come in 20 hours a week and if my sales were twice what everybody else's were, I just told them to deal with it. I could wear the wrong clothes, not be in uniform. They say, hey man, you can't wear blue jeans on Friday here. Say, if I sell five things today, can I wear blue jeans on Friday? Well, that's our rule. Well, do you want the rule or do you want my sales? I know, it's arrogant. I was terrible. <laughs> do you know that there's a kingdom principle here, though? When you do the good that God has called you to do and you don't avoid it, He gives your life meaning no matter how many mistakes you've made. When you produce something for the kingdom, it gives your life purpose no matter how far off track you've gotten. I'm not saying that it excuses sin. I'm saying that it is a worse sin to refuse to produce after your kind than it is to do so many other things we call sin. Mamas, hats off to you. God bless you and those of you that have loved children that are not your own. I love you even more. God's plan depends upon us producing after our kind. Powerful men of God that failed in their very primary responsibilities. I'd like to just run down a list of who's who for you. Is that okay? Yes. We don't normally emphasize failure, but you might be surprised who is on the list. Gideon. What did the angel call Gideon? Giver Hail, mighty warrior. Gideon conquered kingdoms for God, but he had one son who murdered 69 sons. So can we rightly call Gideon a success? Oh, I don't know. Eli, he judged Israel 40 years but refused to discipline his own sons and so God cut off his family line. Is Eli a success? I'm going to let heaven decide. But I have to say I have a question mark. Samuel, one of the most awesome prophets that there ever was. Israel's last judge and first prophet. But his sons Abiah and Joel were perverted and they accepted bribes. So is Samuel a success? David had a heart after God. He killed giants. He was a great king. But he had a rapist for a son. Another son who led an insurrection and slept with his wives in public viewing. And he had constant familial infighting. Solomon is an example of peace on earth, but what else is he an example of? Does anybody know why God picked Abraham? He would direct his household. You know why Sarah could be said to give birth to the nations and kings? Because she would help him direct the household. There is no higher calling in all of the earth than being a good parent. Maybe it's too late. Maybe your children are grown. I bet you could find somebody that still needed help and disciple them. 
We have a calling, church. I'd like to talk to you about three moms who got it right. Is that fair? Yeah. I'd rather talk about moms that got it right than dads who didn't. But that was intentional. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. Say there when you're there. 1 Samuel. Waiting for the rest of you. First Samuel 1, verse 26. And she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. This is Hannah speaking to Eli, who had accused her of bad things. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. Anybody here ever prayed for anything? Raise your hand if you prayed for something. Give me, give me, my name is Jimmy. How many of you went back and gave public testimony when God gave you what you asked for? Because this courageous woman did. And who's she giving it to? To the priest who doubted her. So now I give him to the Lord. <laughs> I, I never preach about money and I'm not going to start today. What's the problem with giving Samuel to the Lord? Come on, somebody. Who, who's a student in here? Hey, has the Lord shown up here in the flesh that she could hand him to the Lord? Whose care is she putting him in on earth? Eli. And what do you know about Eli? He didn't make his own sons behave. But she considered it the Lord because she trusted. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Do you know how old he is? He's however old a child is who is weaned in this day. But do you know what he already knew how to do? Worship. It turns out that Hannah's few years in Samuel's life were more influential than Eli's years of many in Samuel's life. How do we know that? God speaks to Samuel and he figures it out, but Eli is still guessing. Samuel is worshiping the Lord and hears from God during a time that, uh, under Eli's reign where the word of the Lord was rare. What could we really learn from Hannah? When you've asked God for something and He's given it to you, it's best to give Him back the whole thing. Not part of it, not some of it, the whole thing. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. God could do more with Samuel during his lifetime on earth than Hannah could. It's a very difficult thing to raise children. What do we begin thinking? How many of you have a child who is not yet 13, but you're pretty sure where you want him to go to college? Got a child that hadn't made their 18th birthday, but you're pretty sure what you want them to do for a living. These things are not our right, friends. We need to give our children to the Lord. We need to put them on the very best base that we can possibly put them on. And then teach them to follow the Lord. Samuel was Israel's only hope during his death. He was one bright spot in a very yucky time period. 
even came back from the dead one time to rebuke a king who was errant in his ways. You know, none of that happens if a courageous mother didn't have a chance to give back to God what God had given to her. When God gives us something, we often think it's for us. He gives us something that is for someone else because He can trust us to give away what He has given. I asked in India how the church made it. The church is so poor in India. When I say poor, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you think you're poor here, but I would like to say if you have ever held in your hands in a 12-month period more than $300 in a 12-month period, if you have seen come through your hands, whether it was given to you or not, $300, you have more money than the average Christian in India. Make less than a dollar a day. So then how is it that you accomplish all that you're doing. Anand laughed and looked at his father. And his father answered. He said, the rich are busy counting the money, the poor give it away. See, when you know what you don't have, when you know just how utterly poor in your spirit you are, and God gives you something, you know it really belongs to Him. You're just a custodian. I want you to hear me, mothers who are struggling. When you reach that place of brokenness in your spirit, you'll never forget that this child belongs to God. He's trying to raise up living ones. He's trying to raise up rulers. He's trying to raise up someone who will storm the gates of hell and bring back the heads of men. This was the promise given to the patriarch's wives. And it's true even today. I got a woman in the Bible that we don't even know her name. Is that fair? Go to Judges 13. I love nameless, faceless servants of God. The kind that never take credit for His work. Two of you are there. What's happening with the rest of you? Are you tired? You're mad. You're upset with me? You're tired of talking about women? I was told one time that the church needed to do more barbecues. We need to do more dude stuff. Because guys just wouldn't be happy. Amen. You're going to be unhappy. I actually feel like if you simply set your face in a direction that is warfare, every real man will rise to the occasion, friends. Let the others go seek out their chicken cans, their barbecues, whatever it is that they do. I want to leave something behind me when I'm gone. I want to reproduce after my kind, and I cannot do it alone. God gave me a suitable helpmate. A wonderful helpmate, an easer. That's not a pretty word, is it, easer? Easer. It doesn't sound good. Easer. And Hebrew is beautiful. So we choke on it. Easer. You know what it means? That person who helps you accomplish what you could never do without them. David called... Yahweh God is easier. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes unto the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and earth. Help is easier. It's exactly what Adam called the He recognized he could never accomplish the will and plan of God without his, his spouse. How important are our mothers, our wives? 
A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless. I bet she wanted to slam the door in his face. Yeah. Thanks for that. You came all the way from the third heaven to tell me what I already knew. You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Let's just get right down to it. Some women are barren, and all of us are barren spiritually. Unless the heavens shine upon you and God overshadows you, you don't have any hope to produce after His kind. But the moment the presence of the Holy Spirit comes in your life, all you can do is produce after Him. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. Guys, if I tell you that, you're like, well, that's no problem. I haven't had a glass of wine since I got saved. Or since Eric held communion, or whatever it is. Won't be any problem. We can do without it. But you need to understand what this is ultimately saying to this Jewish woman is you cannot participate in the seven feasts of Israel because they all involve one. If your family gets married, you cannot participate in the wedding because it involves one. You cannot participate if there's a funeral. You're going to have to live a life that is separate from all of society. Why? Because I want to give you a child. Motherhood has always been so sacrificial, so difficult, so thankless. I couldn't believe what are now little angels. When they were born, the first thing that they do is fill their diaper and try to spread it everywhere. At the time Judah was born, I'd been working out day and night. I could bench press almost 300 pounds, but I couldn't keep those little hands out of nasty things. And a mama was so hard. Why do you do it? Because it's life from the dead, friends. You get a chance to see the total nature change. And why was this child born? The same reason that you want your children. To be born. Look at verse 5. Because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head. Because the boy is to be a Nazarite. Set apart to God from birth. How many of you would like to have some disciples set apart to God. From the moment they were born again. And he will begin. What? He will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. The hope of the nation, salvation for the whole world, has always rested on a sacrificial mother who would disciple a child. We don't even know her name. You can call her Manoah's wife, you can call her Samson's mother, but she is nameless in the Bible. Could there be any better picture of the servanthood of Christ? than someone who has no glory associated with their name but made themselves nothing for everyone else's benefit? What would the world have been like without Samson? Our last mother that we want to look at today, you can probably guess, is Mary. And I'm going to read you a scripture you've heard many times before, but it's worth reading again. Are you with me? Oh, wow, I lost you somewhere. Are you with me this morning? 
Sometimes when people are pregnant, they get tired. They nap a little bit. I need you to wake up. Y'all are all pregnant with vision right now. You ready to God change the world? This is worth hearing. How would you like to go in? Anybody if you're 16? Raise your hand if you're 16. Judas hiding his hand. Rebecca, you were a good example earlier. It can't work. I can't make Judah pregnant. No matter what we do, he just it can't ever happen. But one day, God willing, you'll have an awesome, amazing child. And you're 14, about to be 15. Susanna, how old are you? 18. 18. So there we have a good spectrum. We have 14 to 18. And both are daddies on the same road, which means I have to tread very lightly. <laughs> Let's imagine for a moment that whether you're Rivka or you're Susanna, you got to come home and say, Jay, Eric, I had this neat prayer meeting today. Well, and in nine months, you're going to be at Grandpa. Kind of, sort of, because the Father's God and doesn't really have you. Might not look like you. <laughs> would you like to do that, Rebecca? Would you, would you like to come home and tell your daddy that you were pregnant? Suzanne, I know the answer to that. I've spent enough time with your dad to know. <laughs> You'd have to catch him at a time he's not cleaning his gun, you know? this. Can you imagine then getting to Luke 138 and saying, may it be unto me as you have said. It was going to cost her her social reputation. It was going to cost her maybe even the esteem of her parents. Someone who had lived so purely that God himself said she was honored could be mistaken for a whore. And who does this burden fall on? A girl somewhere between those two girls' ages. Oh my goodness. When you begin to put this together though, when you begin to think about what is possible, when you receive something from the Lord, you give it wholly back to the Lord. When you raise a world-changing, Philistine-killing child in a sacrificial way for the Lord, when no sacrifice like Mary is too great, what does her sacrifice ultimately mean in the most obvious way? The Savior of the world would be born. Did it cost her something? Oh man, it cost her everything. And can you think of a single prophecy that was given to her that you'd like to receive? A sword or pierce your own heart to? You'd like that? How many of you, when, when Tony was in here the other night, wanted a good word from Tony? Anybody in here want to be told how much you are going to suffer and be hated and then the object of your affection that you not only carried for nine months but loved for the 33 years he was alive would become publicly killed? This role fell to a mother. Because the truth is, in a healthy situation, there is no love on the planet like the love a mother has for her child. I want to encourage you, friends. God has caused you, called you, to raise up those who are spiritually alive, to 
to raise up rulers with God, to raise up those who will defeat the enemy. It will require you to receive from the Lord and give back. Anybody who's ever raised a disciple and sent one out knows that. It will require you to look at raising world changers and you can only receive instruction from God for it. That was Manoah and his wife's prayer. Send back the man of God to tell us how to do this. It will require you to have a view that says no sacrifice is too great. The salvation of the world depends upon what we do. It depends upon it. And I'm here to tell you, you'll give birth after your time. Amen. Stand here.